guess I don't have to pound this for doing mid-app. I can just uh, <laughs> I can just keep sipping what's left. It's not yeah, enough left. Smash your beer. <laughs> All right. How do we do this again? I think we are doing it. I don't know. Oh, my God. Welcome to... to- Super duperstitious. The comedy podcast about the science behind spooky things. How about that? Ooh, I like that. Cool. Um, the guy liking it is Wyatt. I'm Jake. Yes. The, the, the guy critiquing the guy liking it. <laughs> That's fair. Is also Wyatt. <laughs> and the guy just happy to be here is Jake. That's right. But hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Uh, yeah, we like to look at spooky things from a scientific angle whenever possible. Um, and this is that. If you've listened before, welcome back. If this is your first time, I just explain what it is off the top because I usually forget to do it until later, and it's happening to you, so that's cool. It's happening to you. Yes. It's uh, our slogan. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, every once in a while, we have some kind of recurring themed episodes that we hit you with, and uh, this week is one of those in a segment called... Episode four, which I'm figuring we could call the last of the actual home states. Yes, because yeah, we started with all the places we have actually lived, and then we'll expand to the other states that there are after that. So we'll be covering mm. a couple of different states and stuff uh, that is there. So that's just how we themed these. It can be any kind of story to do with that state. Today, those states will be uh, the last of the states that we have lived in, which are Maryland and Minnesota. M&Ms. Before we jump into that with yours, uh, I think we have a bit of a bit of thanks are in order to our Patreon patrons. Thanks are in order. Let's boot it up. By it, I do mean that. And that refers to this thing right here. Which is, of course... The NC AAA device. Accursed <laughs> uh, computer. Fan favorite. Life-draining machine for us. <laughs> It's one of the top three favorite life-draining machines we have on the show, easily. Or life-draining objects, anyway. Yeah. (laughs) Other than these computers, am I right? Mm -hmm. Which is what this is, too. And we use it to run the Pander function, which is the patron appreciation neural dive for evaluation of risk, which, of course, uh, involves us plugging in these wires, cables, tendrils, some might even call them, into the backs of our heads. Ah. And, uh... Focusing in as this, um, what can only be called a cursed machine, does its work. Yes. So, 
it will allow us to see the uh, the things our individual patrons need to look out for in the <laughs> world around them. First up being Nora, Nora Rubinowski. Nora, watch out for Shuangji. Shuangji, uh, thank you. A uh, legendary creature from the ancient Chinese bestiaries. It's basically the fifth ninja turtle. Yes, indeed. Described as a black turtle that twisted their bodies as they swam. A manta ray, perhaps? Could be. They dwelled in lakes and pools in the mountains of China. It is said that wearing one of these turtles as a belt would prevent oneself from becoming deaf. Did not see that coming. Nope, certainly As not. it was uh, downloaded into my brain. I feel like this file is already evaporating. The last things I'm seeing are that there is an image that can be seen online from a an edition of a Chinese book, Guideways Through Mountains and Seas, which appears to be a doodle on a post-it note. <laughs> from the Western Han Dynasty, 4th century to 1st century BCE. I mean, I didn't even need the caption. I mean, the file to tell me that that was the Western Han Dynasty. <laughs> or that the scripture... <laughs> associated with it was from that period but I did need it to tell me that it was a turtle and that you should look out for it because because you need to make sure not to go deaf later in life by getting one of these turtles wearing it on your belt well if you wear it in any other way that is unclear we're not getting enough information from the device to know for sure what happens if you wear it as another garment or accessory a place for experimentation perhaps yeah so Nora let us know how that works out once you get one of these turtles on you and yeah, thank you very much for supporting us currently. on the Patreon. Now we will focus on Christopher, Christopher S. of Pueblo, Pueblo Colorado. Colorado. Christopher, look out for the Belarusian Sky, Sky Squid. Squid. Wow. Ooh, man. So a few different things happening that. here. Uh, in 1985, yeah. <laughs> an Aeroflot plane reported sighting a bright light while flying over Minsk. En route from Tbilisi to Tallinn. Oh my. So it was a mysterious light. It was sighted again on uh, Christmas Eve, 1999. Uh, so it was probably Santa. It being a cigar shaped UFO. Also known Riding as in a, Santa's classic cigar shaped sled. Right, exactly. So that was all over uh, Vitebsk, Belarus. The particular creature exhibited bioluminescent and semi-transparency qualities similar to that of jellyfish or squids. So sky squids... I don't know if you like calamari. It could be the approach here. Um, I don't know how you feel about atmospheric beasts in general, which is obviously <laughs> this creature's type. Yes. <laughs> uh, the fact that it was seen in 1999, highly auspicious year, is also a, a cause for concern. <laughs> Luckily, the possible population size is small. Perhaps even a population of one, unless it is um, parthenogenic, in which case... All bets are off. That's right. Be wary of any kind of aquatic creature, squids or otherwise, that are able to fly. Especially when you are in Belarus. And thank you so much for your support. Thank you very much. And thank you to any of our patrons, whether you've been entered into the Pander algorithm already or not. Anyone who supports us on Patreon at any level will get to be entered into the Pander function to have their own creature cryptid, creepy crawly, calculated. They also get to have immediate access to our Discord, and uh, they get access to monthly curated outtakes. But here's a new thing. We have changed the game permanently with our Patreon. 
Things are getting better for everyone. That's right. Except for the people who are paying the most, which means they'll get better for them later. <laughs> We're going to add right. stuff on there eventually. So what we have done is shifted some of the uh, rewards down a tier. So now, if you join the Patreon at any tier, you get the weekly bonus minisodes. Ooh, baby. Very exciting content. We currently have, I think, 39 of those out there. They are getting real fun. If you've heard any of the ones we put in the main feed as a teaser, you can see the stuff going on, especially on Wyatt's end. It's very, very, very fun. Uh, <laughs> so definitely join up to check out that saga. Then at higher tiers, you can also get some uh, exclusive stickers, merch discounts, and some free merch. Very cool stuff all uh, on our Patreon. And, you know, it really helps us in a big way to be able to make this show. So we appreciate it's if huge. you want to try it you out. You get the biggest gift of all as well, which is Jake and my love for you. Yes. You don't get it unless you do that. Yes. We're transactional, <laughs> strictly, both with our personal relationships and professional. That's right. We pay each other each time to do the show. Yeah, we send each we other record. the same $20 bill back and forth forever. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> we have a constant Venmo going. <laughs> right. Anyway, let's unplug this from our, uh, our skulls here. Ah, yes, yes, of course. Ah, very nice. ah yes. There we go. I slurped mine into my skull. <laughs> I guess it's convenient As for you could have told time. by that sound. Oh, yeah. The sound that we all heard. <laughs> it was very crystal clear, and uh, <laughs> it's going to happen. <laughs> um Anyway, that's enough. <laughs> Dilly dallying. It just, it just splatted onto the table. <laughs> Thank God it's out of my head now. Um, <laughs> Thank God that all happened. Very happy for that. <laughs> all right, do a story about oh, Maryland <laughs> because it is my turn first. Yes. All right, so Maryland heard at the top. The great and sweaty state. Um, after college, before grad school, I uh, worked in Maryland as a research assistant at the uh, University of Maryland for a couple years. A couple two tree years, as our old friend Nick would say. Very cool job, as I got to play with stock-eyed flies, uh -huh. which are pretty much just what they sound like. Those um, are the ones that inflate their heads when they, uh, yes. uh, they reach their adult form, right? They slowly <laughs> yes, bring air exactly. in and then just force they it into their eye stalks. They pump it up. Um, but if you've never even heard of such a thing, imagine basically flies with hammerhead shark eyes, if you will. But um, even more ridiculous. But even more ridiculous and extreme mm -hmm. in many cases. Species to species, it varies. Not going to get any further into it. Uh, but yeah, so here we go. Did you... So, okay, I, I was trying to remember before we did the episode if your postgraduate uh, or... Post undergrad, pre grad school studies were in stock eyed flies or mantises. Were mantises undergrad? Undergrad. Okay, correct. there we go. Um, all right, here we go. <clears throat> so, on November 27th, 1965, an article was published in the Frederick News Post. Mm -hmm. Quote Near the woods of Gambrel State Park, John Becker went out in his yard to investigate a strange noise. It was getting dark and he had started back to the house when he saw something moving toward him. It was as big as a bear, had long black hair, a bushy tail, and growled like a wolf or a dog in anger. Hmm. As he got closer, it stood up on its hind legs and attacked him. Huh? Becker fought the creature until it ran into the woods, leaving him, his wife, and children in horror. 
Imagine him just getting into a boxing match with this like creature. Yeah. <laughs> just like brawling a little bit till I ran away. Becker stripped to his waist <laughs> and assumed <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the proper just boxing position. Fisticuffs. The old timey fight exactly. style. Uh, deciding to remain anonymous under the alias John Becker, he filed a report with local state police telling of an attack by a mysterious monster that he called a Dueyo. Oh. Soon, more stories followed in area newspapers, spawning a rash of calls and letters to the newspapers. I should have edited this more. <laughs> <laughs> to him directly. <laughs> <laughs> to Becker himself. Yes. Other sightings were report. Uh, other sightings of this Dueyo were reported in nearby areas. However, by mid-December, the story started to fade. The next summer, 1990, 1966, the creature was again sighted on the outskirts of Gambrel State Park when a man only referred to as Jim A. encountered the Dueyo as he was heading toward a campsite. He described it as a shaggy two-legged animal, animal the size of a deer, that had a triangle-shaped head with pointed ears and chin. It was dark brown in color, and when approached, it made a horrid scream and backed away from the man. Quote-unquote Jim went on to say that the creature had an odd walk as it retreated. Its legs, quote-unquote, stuck out from the side of the trunk of the body, making its movements appear almost spider-like as it backed away. Wow. Ten years later, in the fall of 1976, another sighting of the Dueyo took place in Frederick County near Thurmont when two men were driving on Route 77 onto a private road. There, they saw a large creature run across the road in front of their car, which they described as, quote, at least six feet tall, but inclined forward since it was moving quickly. Hmm. Its head was fairly large and similar to that, uh, similar to the profile of a wolf, the body was covered in brown or brindle-colored fur, but the lower half had a striped pattern of noticeable darker and lighter banding. Hmm. The forelegs were slimmer and held out in front as it moved. <laughs> the back legs were very muscled and thick, similar to perhaps a kangaroo. This was not a hominid-type <laughs> creature. It did not have the characteristics of an ape. <laughs> it was much more similar to a wolf or ferocious dog. However, it was definitely moving upright and appeared to be adapted for that type of mobility. Wow. I, says this person, was particularly impressed by the size and strength of the back legs, the stripes of the lower half of the body, and the canine wolf-like head. <laughs> Unquote. Later in 1978, two park rangers were near the Cunningham Falls area when they encountered, quote, a, a large hairy creature running on two legs, unquote, not referring to a camper. More than two <laughs> centuries ago, another creature of very similar description shows up in the folklore of the era, the Hexen Wolf. Oh. The late 18th century, the Pennsylvania Dutch had started to settle in Carroll, Frederick, and Washington counties of Maryland. Almost immediately, stories began to circulate about a wolf-like creature. This description was similar to that of the Dueyo, a mammalian biped with features similar to a wolf, but with the stance and stature of a human. The legend of the Hexen Wolf had long been known across much of eastern Pennsylvania and had been told in German folklore, thanks to Kathy Weiser Alexander, who compiled and edited these chunks already. So, kind of spooky. Yeah, very curious. Kind of your standardish wolfman fare. Yes. 
a wolf man by any other name, as they say. <laughs> as for me, Dwayo, come and me want to go home. Yes. Me say Dway. <laughs> me say Dway. Me say Dwayo. <laughs> so, we know what people think they saw. Let's see what it feasibly-ish could have maybe been biologically. Kangaroo bear. Kangaroo bear. That's all I wrote down, so I'm done. <laughs> just kangaroo bear I just twice. Wrote that twice. <laughs> <laughs> so, a deer on its hind legs? <laughs> Sounds like a kangaroo again. I found a recording of a male deer making noise. Okay. That could be construed as barking, I guess. Alrighty. At first, it sounds like a deflating balloon. But then you'll hear it kind of gurgling and grunting. It's a very long video, so jump around. Okay. Jump. <laughs> jump jump around in it a little bit. Oh. Oh, I was not expecting that sound at all. That weird... <gasps> oh, there's... Right, that's more of a interesting kind of growling almost sound. It got a real kind of gurgling. Right. That's all. That's yeah. basically it. Okay. I want to play that first sound again, though. It's very odd. To that, I was not expecting at all. I agree. <laughs> that was curious there. I like it. All right. Um, and then the grunting, gurgling noise, mm -hmm. I guess, could be construed as dog-like. Uh, do yeah. you have a triangular-ish head? Sure. But also, wouldn't it so obviously be a deer? That was attacking you. You'd think so. Unless, I mean, it, as are often the possibilities with these, like, cryptid-type encounters, there's always a chance for an animal you know, not behaving normally, whether it has something, some kind of uh, disease. Often we talk about different kinds of predatory animals with mange and what that can do to their appearance and behavior. So if a beer had... Uh, if a beer... If a deer... <laughs> Easy, Jake. If a beer or a dare... Had, a uh, <laughs> Now, if a uh, if a deer had something not quite right with it, it could act very differently from how you would expect a deer to act, and that dramatic change in context could make you not quite recognize what you're seeing. But that is wild speculation. The best kind. In Southeast <laughs> Asia, there are muntjak, a.k.a. barking deer, which also sound pretty freaky, but of course, hmm. Southeast Asia. Sure. And I do have a link to that, too. Ooh. Huh. Not what you'd expect a deer to sound like. Not a good look. It sounds more like a fox screaming. That's really curious. But also Again, Southeast Asia. <laughs> the wrong so, side of the planet for right, what we're exactly. talking about. Um, could it have been a weirdly large, even temporarily bipedal wolf for some reason? Larger wolves widely held to be extirpated from the Northeast as of around 1900. So, mm -hmm. but also migrant individuals are not impossible. Yeah. But, but Maryland is kind of outside of the range you'd expect even during the normal times. I agree. I agree. And also a wolf, I feel like unless in desperate dire times is not likely to attack on its lonesome. Right. Um, particularly not on two legs. <laughs> yes. Not its best form of locomotion. Mm-hmm. And then there is the possibility that it was someone's 
pet Irish wolfhound. A little bit of the hound Ooh. in the Baskervilles angle. Yeah. They've got the size. They've got even sort of the stripiness, the dimensions. The, sh- the shaggy uh, kind of fur. They've got the sort of triangular head. I'm also not the first to suggest it. In fact, uh-huh. several people from the era called saying that an artist's sketch in the newspaper reminded them of an Irish wolfhound on its hind legs. Very cool. Those are such cool dogs, and they are huge. They are imposing. And, and in especially fact, on their if you hind legs, they're like know, seven feet tall, aren't they? They're enormous. They're yes, they stand three feet at the shoulder, even <sighs> when on all fours or more. Damn. I mean, three feet or more height. <laughs> right. Not when they stand. <laughs> they on always all keep fours one leg up, legs. like a kind of like a four-legged flamingo. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, it's definitely a breed of dog that I would be unsure of understanding what i was looking at if i had never seen one before especially if i was just in the woods or something yeah the woods in the dark at night if something comes jumping out like that like Ooh. you don't know what's happening you're gonna be freaked out spooky so some other questions we can ask ourselves why report this anonymously mm. at least two purported witnesses insisted on aliases when uh, reporting their encounters admittedly more than a little hay was made of this report at the time as well. (laughs) Sensing a good story, Frederick News Post reporter George May wrote a series of articles on the monster, and soon newspapers throughout the area were carrying the story. These articles spawned a rash of calls and letters to the newspaper, ranging from the absurd to the furious. County Treasurer's Office... For a second, I thought you were going to say the guy's name was Frederick News, and I was just totally taken out. (laughs) The name's Post. Frederick News Post. (laughs) Uh, County Treasurer's Office received an application for a Dwayo license from a John Becker accompanied by a $1 fee. I don't know what the fuck that even means. (laughs) License was issued and mailed in care of George May, Frederick News Post. A license for a Dwayo. I have to wonder, does this mean like a deer license? License to kill? Or a dog license? (laughs) Like, a, <laughs> yeah, like right. to hunt a thing or to have it as a pet because they're very different my mind licenses. Yet. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> and then also, perhaps the most obvious question we have to ask ourselves, why would these accounts only really begin with the arrival of the Pennsylvania Dutch settlers who were also telling similar stories in Germany? Mm, can't Evidently, imagine. the Pennsylvania Dutch were incredible monster hunters. Not only did they discover or otherwise suffer the hauntings of the Dwayo or Hexenwolf, they were the first to be set upon by the Snallygaster, or Schnellegeist, oh. which uh, was a bird, reptile, chimeric monster that happened to take folks in central uh, and uplands Maryland to task. What was the German uh, or Dutch uh, version of the name? Schnellegeist, which... Okay. The quick ghost, I would... Okay. See, I always wondered from like the fearsome critters of the Lumberwoods, who may come up in a moment here... Um, I wondered where the name Snallygaster came from because I always liked that name, mm, but now it makes a whole lot go. more sense. There is even some, I don't have it as my main text today, but in my readings, the Dwayo was even optioned as a return of the Snallygaster in its own way. Let's also never mind that the depictions of the Snallygaster are not entirely different from the New Jersey Devil. Oh. So, mayhaps they all arrived on the same boat. Mm-hmm. So, where does this this uh, all leave us? I can say with great relief and a sense of overwhelming calm and peace that I can confidently conclude that, in all likelihood, the Dwayo is, as it always has been, a dark and cruel-spirited form of psychological <laughs> warfare deployed by the Amish. 
<laughs> with the intention of eroding, even obliterating social peace in America from within. <laughs> and by this, I mean to say, of course, that either some kind of hound of the Baskervilles wolfman type monster roamed and terrorized a couple counties worth of Maryland for about 10 years and then just went away as mysteriously as it appeared. Or it is a very fun boogeyman story anchored in the Pennsylvania Dutch line of German folklore brought to North America with those industrious goofballs hiding in their massive chin strap beards like a terrible nightmare. Um, and as these things tend to, story caught fire, set up shop inside of everyone's heads, quickly prime folks for the spookies. Mm-hmm. And I would say with a story like that in your head living in rural Maryland. Oh, yeah. It's easy to imagine how that rustle in the bushes outside, that barred owl groaning in the trees, or that wolf monster charging at you from the darkness <laughs> can all turn into the dwayo with just a little effort. They'll all get you there. Uh, that's what I got for you. Great. I like it very Goodbye, much. Goodbye, Maryland. Heard, I've never heard that uh, particular Maryland uh, folk story, and I'm glad to have heard it. I guess now we say dway. We say Dway. We say Dway AAO, and uh, I think it's time for a segment we haven't done in a while. I breathed in too much just then. <clears throat> a segment where we review a beer. It's a case of small lung. Exactly. <laughs> it popped a little. This is a segment, what's it called, Wyatt? The <laughs> The Quaff. Okay, welcome to the Quaff. So nice to hear this music once again. Yes, indeed. This, of course, is our segment in which we pay homage to the fact that we typically drink a beer during the recording of this episode, Mm -hmm. of every episode of this episode, typically during this episode. Every time we record this episode, we drink a beer. 100% of the time. And Jake was kind enough about five years ago to send me (laughs) a lot of really fancy, interesting beers for this particular segment and we probably stopped doing it <laughs> so i now have very old beer to try and i'm looking forward to it yes so we take a beer and we review it on three uh classic categories we all know about uh, the first of which is physicality how the can looks how does the beer look chuggability how fast can you drink this beer and of course joie de vivre. so the beer we're drinking today is what wyatt we have here Strawberry Coconut Milkshakes uh, IPA. I want to say stout. You heard that slipping out of my mouth. By Crooked Stave, Denver, Colorado. Mm-hmm. This is brewed with strawberries, toasted coconut, milk, sugar, and vanilla. 6.2% alcohol by volume. Mm-hmm. On its face, on the label, mm-hmm. I'm walking away. <laughs> <laughs> but let's look at the can. <laughs> the can... Has a kind of fun little swirly design, some red and green and white. Uh, Almost like a posematic coloration, warning you. <laughs> stop. What you're about to drink is poison. <laughs> let's let's crack this disgusting beer open. <laughs> nice crouch. You have the, the silent pour on your end. It's dead silent as usual. The whisper is what I call my pouring whisper. method. And now mine, especially because I'm holding the beer in one hand and the microphone in the other, this is going to be a terrible 
from way high up pour that's gonna just splatter everywhere. Here we go. All head. Well, it sounded like beer was poured for about half a second, and then, and then sizzling for the rest of it. Sizzling. What are we looking at with this beer? It's got We're looking uh, at IPA colored. Yes, it's uh, one could describe this color as duplicitous or deceptive. <laughs> I'm guessing it does pour a very standard IPA yellow, if you could put it that way, cloudy, suggesting lack of filtration. And uh, filtration specifically of the vanilla, coconut, and strawberry flavors mm-hmm. from what was otherwise a perfectly fine IPA. I'm saying this all <laughs> having not tasted it yet, and I'm ready to be proven wrong. But first off, physicality. Physicality. Can I give it like a five? Yeah, I was going to say five or six, so we'll give it a five. So now comes the all-important part. We got to try this. Put it in our bitch. bodies. <laughs> One way or another. Oh, wow. Ooh, the uh, coconut hits a lot more than I expected. Man. That's some strawberry sunscreen right there. The hops are oh, trying to help, but they're not quite there. You can hear their cries as it, they get destroyed <laughs> on your tongue. <laughs> hops just screaming oh, out. <laughs> Definitely a summery beer. Oh. Um, I'm going to try one more sip of this. This is what they would describe as summer in a can. Wowzers. That is, uh, you can almost feel sweet. the coconut flavor coating your mouth. You can. It's pretty like sweet. Like an oil. This is definitely a unique flavor experience. It's unique. It's worth a shot. I would say if you get a chance to try this in a flight. Yes, that'd be a great context. Perfect. Also, get it uh, and drink it in under a year after you get it. That probably helps. I can only assume. <laughs> yeah. Do not wait 10 years as Jake and I have. <laughs> I would describe this... Oh boy, this is a conundrum. And you know what? I'm not even coming at Crooked Stave here. You know, they went for it. It does uh, everything it says on the tin. It's a bold play. It's a milkshake IPA brewed with. You know what? The yeah, more's the fool who opens this and is shocked because they, they warned you. It had, the, it had the coloration, it made the buzzing noise that I didn't even mention before. <laughs> It had six legs. <laughs> it had six legs, and it stung me on the hand. <laughs> and I opened it and drank its guts anyway. I'm given. I'm. I'm facing a conundrum in how to describe how to drink this beer because I want to drink it fast to get it done with, <laughs> but I do not want to drink it. <laughs> Meaning, I would like to drink it more slowly, or not at all. So I will give it a zero, and I will give it a. Four. Good call. And now, Capitone. And this has been the Quaff. Ah, <laughs> uh, I would say it was a true delight to get back into that segment, but as ever, you roll the dice. Sometimes you get stung by stung. the dice. Exactly. The dice are bees. <laughs> <laughs> and you should not have shaken them up in your bare hands like that. <laughs> You're not required to keep drinking it, but that... Uh, I will. Okay. <laughs> and uh, so will I. It is right next to me. It's with an easy drink. And the more I drink it, the more I don't dislike it. But I think that's just because I already had a beer before it. So it's just like numbing me. Anyway, 
Uh, when I started putting this week's stuff together, I had it in my head that this would be, as you mentioned at the top, the last installment of our actual official home state horrors of place we have actually lived. Right. Uh, I'm pretty sure we've lived in the same number of states. So I figured, oh, we've burned through most of them. So yeah, this is the last of them. <laughs> because one of those states, New Hampshire, is one where we both lived. That means mm. we actually have an odd number. I, I called Debs the very first one of these, so I ended up doing that one from the beginning. We now have an odd number of personal home states to cover, and I actually have one left over accidentally. So, uh, unless you want to have your own turn covering New Hampshire, <laughs> we could also do. Uh, hmm. Let me think. Anyway, I also got mixed up because I recently covered the Ozark Howler earlier this year, and I misremembered that as being my coverage of Missouri. Hmm. This is where I did my post uh, undergrad research stuff before doing grad school. Um, but yeah, that's actually just an episode about sound stuff. So anyway, I had already settled on Minnesota for this one, so everyone buckle the heck up. Missouri listeners, you'll have to wait until the next installment. There it is. Um, Now, the topic I've chosen for today is going to be controversial to folks outside of Minnesota, including back in my home state of Maine, because this topic has been claimed by multiple states, including the face every time you take a drink. It just pains you so much. I don't even mean to make it. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's very amusing. Uh, this topic has been claimed by multiple states, including both Minnesota and Maine, as well as Michigan and Wisconsin, California even. <laughs> but ultimately, more. To, I wrote it as California even, and then only realized reading it out loud, I just had, it was an internal snagglepuss that was just I'm infecting so my mind. I'm so glad to have infected you with that <laughs> disease. Uh, Blessed you with that enchantment? Perhaps. Another sweet to remind you of the pain of the world. But ultimately, more towns in Minnesota than in any other state claim to be the birthplace of... Elvis? Paul Bunyan. Uh, you know about Paul Bunyan, why? Big man, blue ox, axe, cut the Grand Canyon open, chop tree down, eats a little shit ton of flapjacks, kill himself. <laughs> Wait, what did that part happen? had a surprise tragic ending i'll start with an excerpt from a 1922 publication by we i don't know how to say his last name <laughs> bunyan wb bunyan um i don't it's i don't think it's loghead that'd be too on the nose lafied it's l-a-u-g-h-e-a-d laughed lafied it was called the marvelous Ex- exploits of paul bunyan Wait, wait, wait. Let's delay the episode okay. and look it up on YouTube how to pronounce this. <laughs> All right, here we go. Ah, oh, Christ. This is also <laughs> so loud. Word box. Alright, here we go. Yo, everyone. Welcome to my videos. Right now I will demonstrate how to pronounce this word. Let's get right to the it. Bloghead. <laughs> you heard it from this robot dreaming of being a guy who doesn't know how to talk too well. <laughs> you heard it right from the mouth of the very human talking expert. Loghead. Loghead. So anyway. He said, Paul Bonin is known by his mighty works. His antecedents and personal history are lost in doubt. You can prove that Paul logged off North Dakota and grubbed the stumps, not only by the fact that there are no traces of pine forests in that state, but by the testimony of old-timers who saw it done. 
On the other hand, Paul's parentage and birth date are unknown. Like Topsy, he, quote, just growed. Now, I don't know what this is a reference to. Uh, the only Topsy I'm aware of is the one Edison murdered. So I don't know what he's... What kind of... Uh, Topsy. Topsy, yeah. I, I don't know. Anyway, Paul Bunyan is known for superhuman feats of all sorts, from barehandedly stripping the bark off of logs in a matter of seconds to logging the entirety of the Dakotas, as I just mentioned before, to uh, various straight-up creation myths. One of the famous ones you already said is when he was walking around out west, he dragged his axe behind him, and the result was the Grand Canyon. Uh, he's also often depicted with, as you also mentioned, uh, an ox companion. So we'll go back to the, the text by Loghead. Uh, Babe, the big blue ox, constituted Paul Bunyan's assets and liabilities. History degrees... Uh, dis history disagrees as to when, where, and how Paul first acquired this bovine locomotive, but his subsequent record is reliably established. Babe could pull anything that had two ends to it. Babe was seven axe handles wide between the eyes, according to some authorities. Others, equally dependable, say 42 axe handles and a plug of tobacco. Like other historical contradictions, this comes from using, two, uh, from using different standards. Seven of Paul's axe handles were equal to a little more than 42 of the ordinary kind. Kind of ah. A cute little way of reconciling the discrepancy. When cost sheets were figured on Babe, Johnny Inkslinger found that upkeep and overhead were expensive, but the charges for operation and depre uh, depreciation were low, and the efficiency was very high. Such a corporate way of looking at a <laughs> Yes. How else could Paul have hauled logs to the landing a whole 640 acres at a time? A section is uh, 640 acres, a whole section at a time. He also used Babe to pull the kinks out of the crooked logging roads. And it was on a job of this kind that Babe pulled a chain of three-inch links out into a straight bar. Uh, once in a while, Babe would run away and be gone all day, roaming all over the northwestern country. His tracks were so far apart that it was impossible to follow him, and so deep that a man falling into one could only be hauled out with difficulty and a long rope. Once, a settler and his wife and baby fell into one of these tracks, and the son got out when he was 57 years old and reported the accident. Uh -huh, that's cute. Very cute. These tracks today form the thousands of lakes in the land of the sky blue water, i.e. Minnesota. So yeah, a lot of deliberately exaggerated tales with fun and creative hyperbole left and right. Uh, I imagine most American kids grew up hearing plenty of general Paul Bunyan stuff in some capacity, but I personally after never gave it. After he joined the army, of course. What's that? After he, after he joined the army, of course. I don't understand. Gen general Paul Bunyan. I still don't understand. Oh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, gen general Paul Bunyan stories. Oh, 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 okay. Sorry. <sighs> Thank you. I'm so slow. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It was <laughs> a, as they say, terrible joke. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> imagine most American kids grew up hearing plenty of uh, Paul Bunyan stories in general in some capacity, but I personally never gave a ton of thought to the stories beyond, oh, yeah, lumberjack-centric folktale. That is, until a few weeks ago when my friend Sydney from the Bell Museum asked whether I had any strong opinions about where Paul Bunyan is from. Huh. Prior to then, I just thought, I don't know, generally logging areas of North America? Yeah, right. I mean, much like the fearsome critters of the Lumberwoods, which we mentioned earlier and which we love to talk about, uh, for example, in episode 74, Ho Dag, uh, <laughs> these kinds of stories could have spread just about anywhere in the North where logging was a major industry. It's the kind of thing that would be when told in logging camps for fun um, and no reason why it should be you know, stuck in one specific spot, just anywhere where logging was done. But right. apparently some people have very strong opinions specifically about whether Paul is from Maine or Minnesota. 
Hmm. So who better to settle this matter than a Mainer living in Minnesota? Ooh. And looking into it, I found He's out that plant. <laughs> found out that the tall tales were the most familiar with are not the original lumberjack bunkhouse stories that would have been told all throughout the North Woods. So that is any of the stories we know about Paul Bunyan are really not the original ones that would have been shared by lumberjacks. Very, very no different shit. So I'm going to refer now to a piece from the Wisconsin Historical Society. They say, quote, in 1901, when William Loghead, who lived from 1882 <laughs> to 1958, uh, was staying with three brothers in a logging camp in the Pacific Northwest, they entertained him with tales about a giant lumberjack named Paul Bunyan. They'd gone out from Michigan in 1884 and brought some of the stories with them. Log had returned to Minneapolis in 1908 as public relations manager for the Red River Lumber Company. And in 1914, he printed 5,000 copies of a brochure for customers called Introducing Mr. Paul Bunyan of Westwood, California. Hmm. Interspersed between pictures and descriptions of the company's products were a handful of the Paul Bunyan stories Loghead had heard, dressed up in advertising language. The booklet was not commercially published, but rather was mailed directly to all the Red River Company's business contacts. Loghead's idea fell flat on its face because outside of logging camps, Paul Bunyan was unknown in 1914. Hmm. Uh, quote, there were even a lot of people in the logging business who had never heard of Paul Bunyan, he recalled in 1957. But when it got to the wholesaler and lumber dealer and the manufacturer who was buying the lumber for factory purposes, they didn't know anything about Paul Bunyan, and there was all kinds of confusion. Most of these 5,000 first printings of Paul Bunyan tales are thought to have been immediately thrown away. Wow. Which makes, makes sense, since that's what we do with junk mail nowadays anyway. Right. Basically catalog-type brochure. Like tabloids or whatever, yeah. yeah. To remedy the confusion, Loghead mounted in Lumber Trade Journals a public relations campaign that associated Red uh, Red River Lumber Company with the fabled lumberjack's name. For example, Red River sold Paul Bunyan's pine. Mm. Uh, he bought advertisements that used Bunyan in the company logo and issued a second pamphlet, Tales About Paul Bunyan, Volume 2, in 1916. These two little booklets sent out by the Red River Lumber Company in 1914 and 1916 are the first printed collections of the Paul, Bun- uh, Paul Bunyan tales. And Lof, hmm. uh, like Loghead uh, I don't know, yeah, is generally regarded as the person who brought the stories to public notice. Unfortunately, his popular versions of the tales were not very faithful to the original oral tradition. Mm. He later admitted he even invented new characters on his own. When this was discovered, uh, some scholars coined the term fake lore instead of folklore to uh, describe the Paul Bunyan stories. So how tall, for example, do you know Paul Bunyan to have been, Wyatt? Wasn't he so tall? Yes, indeed. Uh, 12, 20, 50 feet tall? Maybe 50? The accounts vary as much as the roadside statues do, I would say. There's a whole bunch of them around the country. Some of them look truly terrible. <laughs> um, there's some pretty funny ones, like the some of the uh, like places claiming to be the birthplace of Paul Bunyan. Um, uh, what's the name of the town here in, uh, let's see, Bemidji, Minnesota. The, the Bemidji statue of Paul Bunyan is real goofy. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> I, I mean I do have uh, I do have a bias of course but I think my favorite is the one in Bangor Maine it's a oh is it? statue yeah <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll link to some pictures of Paul Bunyan statues but uh, they I'm all have some up now they have some pretty uh pretty fun heights to them and some of them are truly massive I mean real real tall would you believe lumberjacks originally referred to him as a giant of 
just under seven feet. Wow. Yeah. And some even like smaller than that, but uh, yeah. Oh, Jake. All right. <laughs> what you seeing? <laughs> Do you see the Bemidji one? And and the uh, Bangor one. And the Bemidji one is very goofacular. It's he's like flat and kind of triangular in shape. He has. He looks like a train conductor monster. Yeah, the hat is very train conductory. And the straight mustache. <laughs> it's like a yard across. The blue is cool though. Mm-hmm. Oh wait, no, it's not. It's terrible. <laughs> babe, it's another blue. Babe, it's a different blue. Er, babe, babe, babe. Why do I keep calling blue? Babe's clues. Babe's clues. That's what it is. <laughs> That's what it is. So, would you agree that the Bangor one is a pretty good looking Paul? Yeah, one yeah. is a Paul you're fine sharing with your kids. The other Pauls you take home and you know have sex with. <laughs> Uh, indeed. Luckily, by the time Loghead's first pamphlet appeared in 1914, a young University of Wisconsin student named K. Bernice Stewart was already in the field carefully collecting the tales directly from lumberjacks. She was the daughter of an Antico timber cruiser, had spent several winters of her girlhood in logging camps in Michigan's Upper Peninsula and northern Wisconsin, and had grown up hearing the stories directly from loggers. Under the guidance of her UW-Madison English professor, Homer A. Watt, she started systematically interviewing and collecting the Paul Bunyan tales from Wisconsin sources about 1912. Hmm. She first reported on her research at the April 1st, 1915 meeting of the Wisconsin Academy of Sciences, Arts, and Letters, following it up with further reports at the meetings in uh, 1916 and 1917. Bernice Stewart's version of the tales was published with the help of Professor Watt in a 13-page article in volume uh, 18 Sorry, quick uh, Roman numerals, <laughs> volume 18, part two of the Transactions of the Wisconsin Academy for 1916. This was excerpted in the Eau Claire Leader on April 21st, 1917, which also printed her picture. Stewart and Watt's 1916 essay was the first systematic effort to accurately collect the tales and the first serious attempt to interpret them. Hmm. While Loghead had embellished and elaborated the stories and caricatured Bunyan for advertising purposes, Stewart had gathered the local... Uh, gathered the oral tradition in order to preserve it. She hmm. and Watt launched a tradition of scholarly study of the tales by folklorists, literary critics, and other academics that continues to this day. Mm-hmm. Soon after Stewart and Watt's scholarly work and Loghead's commercial ones, uh, Paul Bunyan began to fascinate readers young and old in stories, poems, songs, and plays. He appeared in the Encyclopedia, Encyclopedia Britannica in 1929, was the subject of everything from comic books to graduate theses between the wars, has appeared in dozens of books, cartoons, videos, and other publications since then. Sue, so, now one last question remains. Was Paul Bunyan ever actually a real person before all the advertising and legendifying? Hmm. So this last little bit is from history.howstuffworks.com. And I recognize there's not much science here. It's more history. But, you know, you covered it with the aminals before, so I'm going to call it good. <laughs> uh, some historians believe Paul Bunyan was based on a real person a French-Canadian logger named Fabien Fournier. Hmm. Fournier, born in Quebec around 1845, moved to Michigan after the Civil War to take advantage of the high-paying uh, high logging jobs that were readily available. Hmm. His brawn and six-foot height, quite noteworthy in an era when the average American male stood a mere five feet tall, made yeah. him quite intimidating, as did his drinking and brawling. 
There was even a rumor that he had two sets of teeth adding to his savage mystique. That's wild. <laughs> so yeah, you could easily be Paul Bunyan by their standard wide, even Ooh, though you have three sets of teeth. Yes, we can't talk uh, about the third set. <laughs> I'm just imagining you open your mouth and then like the xenomorph, jaws come out and then those open and then another set comes out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Fournier, uh, a.k.a. True. Huh? What did you say? Fournier, a.k.a. Saginaw Joe, died in 1875 during a fight in Bay City, Michigan, a wild town where lumberjacks went to party after every payday. His alleged killer, who struck him in the back of the head with a mallet, was acquitted in a subsequent trial that drew much attention, helping spread his legend to lumberjacking hotspots in Michigan. What a rugged way to go. Yeah, seriously. Uh, Spread to Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and beyond. At that point, Fournier's story became intertwined with that of another French-Canadian war hero by the name of Bon Jean. <laughs> Tales of Bon Jean and Fabien Fournier combined to create one ferocious, athletic, intelligent lumberjack by the name of Paul Bunyan, with Bunyan believed to be a melding of Bon Jean. As the 19th century drew to a close, Paul Bunyan tales appear to have spread to every logging camp in North America. With every retelling of the tales, lumberjacks greatly embellished them. Mm. Yet despite the popularity of Paul Bunyan among the lumberjacking, uh, lumberjacking community, the general public knew nothing of old Saginaw Joe. Hmm. The rest, as they say, is marketing? Mm-hmm. Seems like it. Yeah, so w- what are your thoughts on all this, Mr. Dr. Shell? Uh, Mr. Dr. Shell, CSO. <laughs> I um, forgot about that part of the- <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it seems like the natural evolution of a great tall tale, no pun intended, of course. (laughs) It's a story that uh, easily drafts off of these sort of frontiers energy and the kind of uh, very male colonial, you know, vibe, let's say, of the attitude of like, I'll just go ahead and take this land and chop stuff down. So I can see it blooming in that space and really like thriving. And of course, if you add a little uh, capitalism to that mix, <laughs> baby, cook them with gas, as they say. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, it, but but in the best way, I think it's a fun story. I think they're sweet, kind of like pure American Americana, kind of like goofacular folklore, and I like it. Speaking of cooking with gas, there are some original. Uh, tales of paul bunyan where he had a huge logging camp and he was a pretty big guy with a pretty big appetite and so his cooks would have a great big griddle that they cook on in the morning and they would have to grease up the whole thing by strapping hams to their feet and skating along the top of it back and forth that's right and then he would eat them and the flapjacks right <laughs> probably i don't know if they i didn't see anything beyond just the skating on hams to grease the uh thing but that was that was one of the original things that you would say but it seems like a big part of the format of Paul Bunyan tales was that kind of like uh, the fearsome critters tales. It would be to kind of uh, to joke around and trick greenhorns, but people would um, be chatting, like talking about like, you know, exaggerated tales of things they had done in previous seasons. And Mm -hmm. they'd often say like, Oh yeah, I met you. And when we both worked in Paul Bunyan's camp and they would talk about stories uh, like just to to each other, like uh, in front of the greenhorns to like uh, fake them out. Yeah. And tell big stories of stuff that Paul had done or that they had done with him. And uh, it would often be some pretty impressive, goofy stuff. It was always emphasizing his strength and ingenuity. Like, he was a very clever guy. He would do some just fun, cool, interesting ways of solving problems. And uh, 
was it yeah a big guy but not 50 feet tall he was just you know, bigger than the average guy 48 feet tall exactly and uh yeah it was just kind of interesting seeing how that evolved over time from them just like telling general kind of stories like oh yeah this guy we, we've yeah he's the best around paul bunyan like we got a chance to work with him a couple seasons ago it was during the the winter of the blue snow like they talk like different stuff just there'd be different things to refer to different uh mainstay stuff that would keep popping up and then kind of like a big fish story they would just try and top each other with oh yeah well back when i worked with paul this is what we did and so that was kind of the format it took i wonder too how much at the time if you were someone new to camp that was like oh my god is this for real Right. versus like just appreciating like a format of like basically oral meme totally where you knew this was all made up mm-hmm. but it was still fun to see how well a person could like tell a version of a paul bunyan tale i wonder how yeah. much that was in the air i would imagine given how common these seemed to be that that had to have been something people would pick up on pretty quickly like oh this is just this is a thing we do for fun okay cool that's very sweet i like yeah. that then capitalism got a hold of it. <laughs> oh yeah, baby. <laughs> so that is uh, that is my Minnesota tale for this week. A wonderful one, Jake. I really enjoyed yeah. that a lot. All this talk of capitalism <laughs> really makes me think to say something that sounds a little bit like this: that Four Phantoms <laughs> has got to be perhaps the grooviest brewery in Western Massachusetts. Certainly groovier. <laughs> than Crooked Stave, although I'm sure they would appreciate the name Crooked Stave as they combine. My brain shut down. <laughs> I thought you were just going for a dramatic pause. You just <laughs> I was at first, and then I was like, I've stopped talking. <laughs> I saw one of your eyes, only one, yeah. roll fully back into your head. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Not far off. They combine the elements of Dungeons and Dragons, heavy metal, and beer to produce beer using <laughs> their famous ingredients of big tank, smoke, monster, amplifier, acoustics, body, moisture, yeast, and time. Again, to make beer. I don't know how else to say it. They make beer. They make Good beer. beer. They make it. You should drink it. It's delicious. Yeah, like what we've experienced today. You will not feel like you're drinking a coconut candle that you spilled an IPA inside of. <laughs> Here are some things forthcoming at Four Phantoms for your July 4th, post-4th. <laughs> Rack Slabbeth BBQ, fun name. That's so good. I miss saying it. <laughs> there will be a guest barbecue master serving up some serious meat Saturdays through July, which leaves, mm. sadly, only the 30th for those who are keeping track. Well, uh, it's Saturday, so that means uh, there's... Except for this Saturday. <laughs> there we go. You get two more chances. Uh, July 21st is free bacon night. Need I say more? Unfortunately, this is not a campaign to get Kevin Bacon out of jail. 23rd of (laughs) July, local culinary heroes, Little Truck, will be swinging by to serve up some delicious Southeast Asian cuisine, perhaps some cooked muntjac, as we talked about earlier. Uh, July 28th four phantoms is releasing a new mexican lager alongside some newly old favorites like orb lord johnny flip-flops and grim grim ritual and then they're closing out the month july 30th with secrets of the queen's drag trivia should be dope this will be a mm-hmm. marvel themed pop culture trivia night not sure how to prepare for that watch all four thousand movies 
If you start watching them now, you'll be just barely done by the Ooh. time this happens. Or you could also listen to Into the Characterverse by uh, some of our friends in Wisconsin. Oh, indeed. Good call. Are all three of them in Wisconsin? I should ask that. I do not know. I know at least two of them are. <laughs> A Marvel-themed pop culture trivia night with special guests Peachy Creme and Serenity Lockhart. Uh, $10 to enter, and it will be starting at 6.30, so check that out as well, and... Thank you, as ever, for fandoms. Mm-hmm. We love you. We do so much. And we love doing this show. Yeah, we love you for listening to the show today and every time you listen to it. One way you can support us is by leaving a review, a rating and review on especially Apple Podcasts. That helps out the most. It's a nice free way to support us. If you feel like spending a little more than free in terms of money, you can also buy merch from our website. We forget to mention sometimes yeah. we have a shitload of merch on our <laughs> website. Really cool, different stuff. Not just our logo, even though the logo is great, but a bunch of other cool artwork too. And very, all kinds of different cool. styles and colors. Think about putting us on you. Gross. Anyway, if you still want to listen next time, it's going to be a fun one. It's going to be the beginning of our travels in August. Around, around, around the, the world. The, 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 the world. world, world. I forgot to buy my tickets. This is going to be a long, painful journey. We'll figure something out, I'm sure. Oh, God. (laughs) All right. I'm going to start packing. We will see you there. Cool. Thanks. Bye. Bye.